We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Second John. We'll see in verses 1 through 3 the introduction. In verses uh, 4 through 6, the walk. In verses 7 through 11, a warning. And then we'll close in verses 12 through 13 with a conclusion here. And we'll see even a lot in the introduction. As we read in verse 1, it says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And so we begin now the second epistle of John, and it's jam-packed with a lot of practical things for us in the church today. And we begin with the introduction and greeting. He says it's from the elder there in verse 1, the elder. And the Greek word translated elder is that word presbyteros, and it speaks literally of someone who's up there in age, true. But biblically and contextually in both Judaism and Christianity, this is in reference to those individuals who presided over the assemblies or churches in the New Testament. If you remember in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter addresses the elders and calls himself an elder. And, you know, when you read the Gospels, you find that the term was used almost exclusively for the Jews, the elders. But then as the church grew, we see that the elders were raised up within the church, those officers, those leaders. And then you find eventually to the point in the book of Acts where it says they ordained elders in every church. And so here we have the elder. It's kind of an interesting title. And what you find, you guys, is both church history and literary style, which is how we study linguistics. This right here points us to the fact that this particular elder, this leader, this man who is older, by now he's in his 90s, is none other than John the Beloved, the Apostle John. You know, and he's he's over his he's over ninety years old. It's kind of funny. I was talking to one of the uh, sisters here, Francis, and they're having a a birthday party for her mom, who's ninety three years old, man. And I was kind of tripping out because she says, "Man, she just does you know all these things. She dances, she goes out and uh, has fun, and she of course goes to church, and she doesn't." want to live with her children. You know, she wants to be independent. I was thinking, wow, in her 90s. And so it kind of reminded me of John in his 90s. Here he is still active, still being used by the Lord, and coming to a point now where after all these years of faithfulness that he can write to a church and simply refer to himself as the elder, and, and everybody would know who, he's, who he is, right? I mean, he's old. He's over 90 And at the same time, he had a special place in the church. Apparently, they would know who he is. 
simply by identifying himself as the elder. We know that he was young at the time of Christ, but now he's older and has been used by God in amazing ways. For those of you guys who don't know, this gentleman right here, John, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. And so, wonderful man, God used in a tremendous way, the elder. And notice it says in verse 1, to the elect lady and her children. Now, if you've read any commentaries or heard any studies on this, you'll know that scholars are not sure, they disagree as to who the elect lady really is. Some say she's just a mom, a Christian mom with a Christian household with Christian children. Others say she's a lady who kind of seems to be a leader. She has a home where there's a fellowship going on. While others say the elect lady is a personification of the local church, which to me, we're going to see as I go through our study today, seems to make the most sense looking at this both in the immediate context and the overall biblical context. You know, because, um, I mean, maybe it is a mom. We're going to see later that's probably not true because of the fact that it's used in the pronouns are used are plural as well as singular. Um, but some would say, and there are some who say, well, she's a leader there in that church, the elect lady, and she has children and all this thing is going on. But the problem with that is that we know a lady can't be a pastor or teacher over men, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And so if you're writing to instruct a house church, you would write to the leader of the church, not the lady, because the lady can't be the leader of the church. And so you might say, well, wait a minute, Manny. Uh, that church down the street has a female pastor. And what about Joyce Myers? She teaches a lot of men. Well, I would say to you, that's true. Unfortunately, tragically, there are many churches who have female pastors. And yes, Joyce Myers is unfortunately teaching many men, but that's not biblical. According to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And so it's not that God says men are better than women, because we know the exact opposite is true, right? <laughs> but it's just God's structure. It's God's word. It's God's you know, truth so clearly revealed. And yet, how many times we go against that? It's not that a man can't ever hear a study from a lady. I, I don't believe that. You know, from time to time, we can hear a study from a lady, but she can't have a teaching position over a man, and a female should not be a man's steady diet. That's unbiblical. And so we need to see as we read through this, well, what exactly is this elect lady in reference to? You know, right here we see the elect lady and her children are really probably in reference to the local congregation there. You know, it's interesting. If you guys, let's jump over to verse 13. It says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. And so what's that all about, you know? And is it her sister and her nephews that are talking here? And, and what we find, you guys, is that more than likely this is a personification of one congregation to another. John didn't use names. Some people say probably because there was potential persecution if the letter was intercepted. And real easy to understand. You know, I remember one time I spoke at another Calvary chapel 
And I was actually introduced as a pastor from what they consider to be a sister church. And so even today, we still have that framework. We still have that mentality. And so, uh, again, possibly, and we'll talk a little bit about this, maybe it is just a, a mom with her kids, or maybe it is a lady who's opened up her home to a home fellowship. Um, but more than likely, it's the personification of one congregation to another, John writing to this church. But here we see the elder John, notice again, is writing to the elect lady and her children. And I want to touch on that real quick because sometimes people get confused with the elect and what's that all about? The Greek word ekletos, it means to be picked or chosen. And this doesn't mean, I want you guys to know, that God chooses some for heaven and leaves the others for hell. And the reason I want to say that is because sometimes you'll hear that when you turn on the radio or you read books. God chose some for heaven. They're the elect. There's a select. And God didn't choose others. They don't have a chance to go to heaven. No, the elect, it's, it's really explained in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, where it says that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see, the Bible teaches that God looks down the corridors of time and sees who will respond to his love and who will say yes to the invitation to turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. God sees that inclination of the heart. Yes, Lord, I'll humble myself and I'll, and I'll just give you my life. God sees that. And then what ends up happening is they become part of the elect. They become part of the select. And we have the divine sovereignty. We have human responsibility. It's the church chosen by God. And it's the church who's chosen God. Neither are violated. And that's really what we see when we speak of the elect lady. When God uses that church to save souls, it's so cool to see what ends up happening. Children of God are then born into the kingdom of God. And so the elder to the elect lady and her children. And then John says something really interesting, which is key, even in the introduction. He says, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. John loves the people. We know that for a fact. And he loves them in the truth. And that's important for us to understand. I don't think it necessarily means God, John truly loves them, although that's true. He's saying something different. John loves them in the truth. John loves them like with the truth. And you see, when you, when you really study the Bible, you can't separate those things, you guys. It's not just that he truly loves the people, it's that he loves the people in truth. And it's not just him, he says right here, it's actually everyone who's really known the truth. This is the way they love. And this will be, in one sense, if you can get this, the key that unlocks the letter. You know, some people mistakenly believe that it's loving just to let everyone believe what they want to believe. They'll tell you it's not loving to evangelize the non-believer. And they'll tell you it's not loving to confront or correct the believer. They think that's what love is, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to be speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 15, which means we speak the truth because we love God and the people. You see... 
Truth without love is hypocrisy, yes, but love without truth is heresy. And I believe both of those roads will lead a person to hell. And that's why we have to love people with the truth. And sometimes it's hard to share because, you know, it, it may sound a little like corrective or whatever, but it's really protective. And it's only because you love them that you need to share these things. You see, the world today, and tragically, even many in the church think that we're called to love. And since we're called to love one another, we should never, ever divide over doctrine. But you see, guys, that's exactly when we divide over doctrine. When they're teaching this about my Jesus, when they're teaching this garbage about God, when they teach heresy about him, we're going to see today in the Gnostics here that they, they taught that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He was just a phantom. He didn't have a real body. And there were other elements of the teaching that were against the true teaching of the church. John's going to say, listen, man, when you get those type of people who are not really teaching the truth, don't support them. Don't welcome them into your fellowship. Don't encourage them. As, as a matter of fact, you need to identify them as deceivers among the believers. And some people, they, well, that's not love. Yes, it is. We love you. We want you to go to heaven when you die. And that's why we just teach the Bible. And so John, here, even in his initial greeting, and we'll talk more about this, has this heart that's beating, even bleeding for the truth. And we need to know that it's an expression of love for this church. And again, it's not just from him, it's from those who really care. All those who have known the truth, he says right there, and it's so deep that it abides in them forever, you guys. Important for us to understand. Here the word truth, according to Marshall, refers to divine reality and signifies what is ultimately real, namely God himself. Hence it can refer to the expression of God in his incarnate son and in the Christian message. He says the truth abides in us. I love that. The truth is who? It's Jesus. The truth abides in us. Forever, And that's what Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so John the Elder, he's writing with this key to the elect lady, more than likely a congregation whom he loves in truth, whom he loves with truth. And he says there in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And here it is again. In truth and love. Now, in one sense, it's a typical greeting, but we know it's never random, right, with the Bible, the grace, the mercy, and the peace. Aren't you guys glad that God has been gracious to you? Aren't you glad that he's been merciful to you? Where would we be right now if it were not for God's mercy? We would be in hell right now because mercy is not getting what you deserve. Right? And when we sin, we deserve hell. God hasn't given us hell. He's given us mercy. But not only that, you know, he's given us grace. And, and mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting these good things that you don't deserve. It's God's unmerited favor. G-R-A-C-E. God's reward at Christ's expense. Not only are we not going to hell, here's the great news. We're going to go to heaven. 
I mean, not only are we, you know, it's amazing to me the grace that God has bestowed on so many of our lives. Wouldn't you say, man, the families that we have, the love that we have, the way that he has provided for us. He's opened our eyes. He set us free from the bondage of sin. I mean, you know, he has blessed us. And now we're no longer addicted to crystal meth. We're no longer addicted to, to drugs and alcohol and pot. We're addicted to God now. Isn't that cool? I mean, he's given us these good things and as we become a Christian, it's so cool because what ends up happening is when we know that relationship and when we know the cross and we know the mercy and we know the grace, and that leads us to what? This place, he says right here, of peace. That the whole world is looking for and they can't find because it's only found in Jesus. It's so beautiful what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, it's a peace that only Jesus gives when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, I would venture to say that most of you have already done that. But if you haven't done that, then you don't have peace. Have you ever seen that, that, that bumper sticker? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. Isn't that cool? That's the way it works. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says we have peace with God. Peace with God. When you give your life to Christ and you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's no longer your enemy, which is good news, man. You have peace with God. And then over in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, we have this beautiful peace with God. Same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Peace of God. The peace with God and the peace of God, you know? And to where, you know, we know that we're accepted in the beloved. We know that if, we're, if we die, we're going to go to heaven. The other day I went to go visit a gentleman, George. And, you know, I don't know for sure. The Lord only knows, you know, when his time is. But I, was, I got there and, you know, he's lying on his bed. And he's crying out to Jesus. And he says, Manny... I'm on my last stretch. And I tell you what, for a man who's just about, you know, he's thinking, I'm going to die. I'm on my last stretch. He had a peace that surpassed understanding. Peace that only God can give because it's a peace with God that leads to the peace of God. When you understand this relationship of grace and mercy, truth and love, it's a beautiful place for us to be. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I would venture to say that there are some of you here today, you don't have a peace. You know you can't sleep. You're freaking out. You're worried and just you're bouncing off the walls. Jesus Christ came to give you a peace. Not just a peace of peace, but a perfect peace. What we got to do is we got to get our eyes back on him right and so john here he writes uh, from the elder to the congregation these good things that god wants to give to them and then he talks about 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 walking because look what he says in verse four i rejoice greatly that i have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the father and now i plead with you i as though I wrote a new commandment, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, 
but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. John's going to talk about walking in the truth, about practicing the truth. Later on, he's going to talk about protecting the truth. You can't protect the truth if you're not practicing the truth. You can't warn people about truth if you're not walking in the truth. And John says, you know what? I was so jazzed in verse 4. Because somehow, somewhere along the way, he found some of their children from that congregation walking in truth. It says, just as they had received commandment from the Father. The Greek word translated walking It has this Hebrew background. It speaks of one's journey, one's life. To regulate one's life, to conduct one's life, to pass one's life. And John right here says, it was so cool, man. You know, these guys, they they said they got saved there at your church, and I ran into them, and I found them to be real. I found them to be walking in the truth. They weren't hypocrites. They weren't superficial. They weren't just uh, talkie-talkies. They were walkie-talkies, right? They were walking. You know, because there's a lot of people, oh yeah, they say the right things, but in all reality, they are not living the life. They're not. And John says, it was so cool because I met some of those people, man, from the, the children of that church over there, and they were walking in the truth. And it's just a beautiful thing when that becomes one's life. But the thing is, he says in verse 5, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so, as I was reading this letter, I was thinking, Lord, John obviously ran into some guys that were right on. They really were walking in the truth, man. They were walking in love. They were holding to the commandments that they've been taught from the Father. But from what I read, it, it, it may be that this lady wasn't. Maybe this congregation wasn't. And so now, John now, he writes this little postcard letter and he just says, I plead with you. I beg you. I beseech you. He says that, that you, in essence, would do the same. It's not nothing new. It's something that, you know, we heard from the very beginning. That you love one another. And so again, we come back to, okay, loving each other. But here's the question. What is love? You know how it is sometimes with your kids. They ask you for things. And they think, if you really love me, you're going to give me what I want. But we know as parents, it's usually the other way around, right? It's usually, we have to say no more than we have to say yes because we love them. And that's what John is saying here. You know, people are saying, hey, you know, you guys are, are not doing this. You guys are not walking in the truth, you're not practicing in truth, you're not protecting the truth. Because that's the way love manifests itself. You know, love, it's a big word. It manifests itself in many ways. Sometimes it's the caress on the cheek, right? Sometimes it's the caress on the cheek. Sometimes it's the trancaso on the other cheeks, right? It's the same, it's the same love, right? I mean, we know sometimes love is tender affection. Yes, tender affection. But other times love is aggressive protection. And apparently this church wasn't protecting the flock. They weren't. 
There's a good chance that this lady or this church was not protecting the people. And John hears about it from some that were walking in the truth. And so he sends them this little letter. And he gives them a warning here in verse 7. For many deceivers, here's why, have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. See, in the church, we, we got to be walking. And in the church, we got to be warning. In the church, we have to be practicing. And in the church, we have to be protecting constantly. Constantly. And John says right here, the reason is, you know, many, not just some, many deceivers have gone out into the world. We read that in Second Peter uh, chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. And notice, bring on themselves swift destruction. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm happy. They're going to bring on themselves swift destruction. But notice it says, And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. See, false teachers, they creep into the church. They're there on the Christian television. They're there sometimes on the Christian radio. They're there sometimes in the Christian bookstores. And they come in by stealth. And yeah, they destroy themselves, but they take others with them. And that's why we constantly need to be warning people that there are deceivers among the believers. The same Greek word is translated deceivers in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says, and in latter times some will notice depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's what the Bible says. Now the word here speaks not only of someone leading us to wrong beliefs, but it also speaks of leading to wrong behavior, which if I could just say it this way, you know, it's so cool, man, when you really study the Bible, you understand what it says and how God loves you and how you're supposed to love God. Real simple, take up your cross and deny yourself. So simple. You know, and, and, and so you understand what the Bible teaches and you believe it, and then it affects your behavior. If you're not behaving right, it's because you're not believing right somewhere along the line. And that's why you just got to come back to the word and submit yourself to what God says. So cool. It's really simple. This Greek word right here, it speaks of individuals leading people, not just to believing wrong things, but it literally speaks of them behaving in wrong ways, which is the epitome of Gnosticism. You know, Gnosticism taught that all matter was evil, therefore Jesus could not have taken on a body. They taught that God's distant from matter through the many emanations. 
And therefore, it doesn't matter what you do in your body because that's just matter. That's not the real you. The real you is your spirit. All I'm saying was weird. The beliefs led to a certain behavior that was carnal. That's Gnosticism. These were deceivers right here who did not confess Jesus is coming in the flesh. The Greek word for confess, confess is homologeo, and it means to say the same thing as another, to agree with, to assent, and these guys didn't agree with the true teaching of the church found in the pages of Scripture about the nature of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what does it say? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And that's what we need to do as well. They weren't saying the same thing as the Bible says. They weren't saying the same thing as the church says. And John says this, whatever you do, don't take it lightly. I want you to know that these people are, notice what he says right here in verse 8 and verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. See, they're against Jesus, a title given to the adversary of the Messiah. John had written earlier in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And so he's going to warn them there's two ways to go wrong. Number one, we've got to understand this. You can be deceived yourself. Number two, You, through your negligence, can allow these people a platform that they should not have, sometimes even within Christian circles, where they can deceive others. And that's where we've got to be so careful. You know, we see this real easily in the church setting. And I know earlier I was thinking, well, it's probably not a a lady in in her house, but let's just say it is a lady in her house. Because I think there is application there. And it's a mom. Or it's a dad, or they're both parents, and they allow deceivers into their house. And sometimes parents don't even have a clue what their kids are doing online, what their kids are listening to, what their kids are watching, what their kids are reading. And in one sense, they are guilty of violating exactly what we're reading here. Because your house should be a church. But we allow them to come in. Maybe you're not deceived, but you're allowing deceivers in. You know, and I can show you parent after parent after parent who failed in this area, and they admit to the fact that they had a part to play through their negligence in not protecting their children from such things. You see, it happens in the church. It could happen in your house. And even if you're a single mom, I would say it would apply to you. See, all I'm saying is that we have to have this understanding. There's two ways to go wrong. You can deceive yourself. You can allow those people you love to be deceived through negligence. Or another thing is we've got to understand these deceivers do serious damage that we really need to take at heart. Number one, you know, what happens? While you might stand before God one day, and we're going to see in verse 8, and get less of a reward because you don't listen to the letter, Secondly, you might stand before God one day and be cast into the lake of fire because you won't listen to the letter. And that's why John writes it. And you're like, Manny, that's not very loving. You're talking about hell. 
My algebra teacher used to say H-E double toothpicks because he couldn't say hell. <laughs> Dude, it's hell, you know. And it's the lake of fire, and it's where we don't want people to go. And that's why Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. We're sinners. That's where we should go. If God gave us justice, that's where we should go. But he died on a cross so we wouldn't have to. But you've got to get real with God. And you've got to submit your life to him. And we listen to letters like this and we take heart. Look what he says in verse 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Probably the best way to translate this would be to take heed to yourselves. Reason being, if we compromise with counterfeit Christians, we suffer a loss of reward. You know, one day, you guys, I, and I, just, I think about this day, we're going to stand before God and he's going to reward us if we're believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8 says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his reward according to his own labor. Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. You see, Jesus is coming with his reward. But the question is, when we stand before God that day at the Bema Seat Judgment, when we're there, will we receive what John is talking about right here, a full reward? And the only reason we want a full reward, because we get those crowns and we cast them back at the feet of Jesus, is because God will be glorified. And that's what I want to do. He died for me. I want to die for him. He came down and humbled himself. I want to exalt him. I want to give him glory on that day. But we need to take heed to ourselves. That's what he's saying right there. Be careful. Look to yourselves. Because you want to receive a full reward. Don't let the enemy rip you off. You want to receive a full reward. I love what Boaz told Ruth. In Ruth chapter 2 verse 12, he says, The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you. By the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Even way back in the Old Testament, they knew about the rewards. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus says. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. You see, it's a warning that we need to look to ourselves. We need to take heed to ourselves. You know, last night I was in my garage and I was thinking, Lord, it's kind of weird, you know, to look to myself, look to myself. And, of course, the Lord, you know, told me, you know, and just kind of opened up my eyes to the Bible. You know, it's just taking a long, hard, how do you look to yourself in the mirror? You know, and some of you guys, you like to stare at yourself in the mirror. And don't get me wrong, but most of us here don't, you know. I don't know about you, but real quick, you know, I just try to blow dry my hair real quick. No, I'm just joking. I don't. <laughs> real quick, you know, I mean, this doesn't take much time in front of the mirror physically, but, but, but spiritually, yeah, take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. Who have you become? What are you in God's sight? What's going on in your heart? You see, that's what he's saying right here. The Lord is saying, listen, you got to look, man. I mean, what am I doing? Am I dancing in any way with deceivers or the devil? You know, is my so-called love 
How's it become a compromising love where I'm not too concerned with doctrine? It's just whatever is in. Or I've become merely emotional as a Christian and not theological as a Christian where it doesn't really bother me what they say about Jesus. As long as our morals are the same, then man, we'll hook up and we'll have fellowship together. And God says, how dare you fellowship with someone who teaches this about my son? We can't. We're going to see that's what he talks about. You know, if we don't change things, we're going to lose our reward because those deceivers among believers do damage to others who maybe aren't as strong as you are. And we've got to be so careful. We don't hook up with those people. We don't fellowship with them. See, at least a loss of reward and, and maybe even more. Look at verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, notice he says, does not have God. They don't have God. The Greek word right here translated transgress, it means to pass a line, to pass over, to turn aside, to depart, to leave. Whoever transgresses and does not abide, here's the Greek word meno, which means to tarry, continue, or remain in. Whoever transgresses and does not remain in the doctrine of Christ, he says, does not have God. And that's why, uh, you know, it's a heavy warning, you guys. John chapter 15 is probably a good parallel passage to this. In John chapter 15, Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And so, you know, he's talking about believers and think about it. You guys, Jesus is the vine I mean, that must be a pretty amazing vine, huh? Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. If we're not bearing fruit, he'll lift us up. He'll begin to work with us. If we are bearing fruit, he's going to prune us because we want to you know, bear more fruit. Real, real simple right here. And, and so all he says is it's a real simple illustration. In verse 4, abide in me, remain in me, tarry in me, rest in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I haven't really had a whole whole bunch of love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I really haven't been bearing a whole lot of fruit. Well, it's got to be because you're not abiding in the vine. When you're abiding in the vine, when you're abiding in Jesus you're going to bear fruit because of who he is, not because of who you are. And that's why it's important that we stay close to him. It's a real simple illustration, right? And so the Lord says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Notice, for without me you can do nothing. And this is just growing and growing and growing. And we're just resting in him or remaining in him. We can't do it without him, right? But in him we can But then there's a warning in verse 6. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, you know, you might have your, your, your fancy Calvinism, 
But I'll tell you what, man. I'm just going to let the Bible speak for itself. And he just said, you're a branch. And you're in the vine. And all he said was, was, was stay there. Remain there. Rest there. Because if you take yourself out of the vine, he just says it's like a branch. And you can picture it, right? Broken off the vine. It's over there. It's no longer going to be green. It kind of dries up. It withers up. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus says they take that branch and they, they kind of just throw it in the fire. And so there's the warning how we need discernment, how we need to make sure that we ourselves are not discerned, deceived, and we don't allow ourselves through negligence and leaving doors open to people that teach a different Jesus or a different gospel to then go in and be deceiving the people that maybe aren't as strong as you are. See, we have to understand this is what the Bible teaches because this is a very, very heavy warning. And I mentioned earlier, there's two ways to go wrong. Number one, you can be deceived yourself. And number two, you can allow these people a platform they shouldn't have, sometimes in Christian circles, where they can deceive others. And God's going to hold these guys accountable, the ones that allow the likes of maybe a T.D. Jakes to sell books in their bookstore. God will hold them accountable. And all these false teachers, oh yeah, a Christian radio station, but you're allowing them on that television station, or whatever it might be, you're giving them the platform? You're fellowshipping with who? And I remember one time, uh, one of the brothers here, he had a home fellowship, and, uh, and Mormons were coming. And so, you know, it didn't take long for him to figure out, well, they're not here to seek the truth. <laughs> and so, I had to kick him out. You teach a different Jesus. And I'm not going to allow you to mingle among God's people. I remember one time I was invited by the city of El Monte to pray at invocation at an event. And I said yes. But then afterwards I found out that it was an interfaith event. It was all the different religions. And it was this, you know, part of this ecumenical movement. And so as soon as I found out, I called up and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Because they teach a different Jesus and they teach a different gospel. And they said, well, you have to because your name's already in the program. And I said, sorry, I can't. And neither should you because I was a person who claims to be a Christian. What does that do? What does that say? See, all I'm saying is, you guys, we got to be so careful. Maybe you're not going to be deceived by the Mormon. And maybe you won't be deceived by the JW. Maybe whatever it is, you know, the different gospel they teach. But what about others? You ever think about that? We're, we're really, we really got to be careful. In verse 10, he says, If anyone comes to you, first, second John, and, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And I think here's where they were probably primarily going wrong. You know, in those days, you would have traveling teachers, and we know this culture was a very hospitable culture. And so what would happen is these false teachers would come into town and, and, you know, the first instinct was, well, let's give them a place to stay, right? And so John says, listen, don't accommodate them and allowing them to stay in your house. And whatever you do, don't allow them to come into the house churches and deceive the people. John says, if they come to you, you can't receive them into your house. You can't even greet them. Because if you do, you share 
in their evil deeds. Now, what we got to understand right here is the, the, the greeting. Okay, you're like, Manny, what do you mean? I can't say hi to, you know. <laughs> That's not what he's teaching. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Greek, you see it real clearly. The word greet right there in verse 10, into your house, nor greet him. Verse 11, for he who greets him. Interesting. It's the same word translated rejoiced in verse 4. But it's a different word translated greet in verse 13. So it's not your typical, hello, how you doing? What it is, is a type of greeting like they see oftentimes in the East where you give them, you know, the hugs and kiss them on both sides and you're so happy to see them. And and basically what he's saying is this is in reference to just welcoming them into your heart, welcoming them into a place of fellowship. You know, we know, of course, that we are to say hi to those who have different faiths and we don't look down on people even though we strongly disagree with them. We want to win them to the Lord. But right here, what it's speaking of is a, a kiss on the cheeks, speaking of rejoicing to see someone and indicates really primarily an entrance into fellowship. And John says, that, that's not what you do. You can't do that. Otherwise, he says in verse 11, you're sharing in his evil deeds. Think about that. Same word used in 1 Timothy 5.22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. I mean, things are so bad nowadays, you guys, that some churches, they'll welcome some moral, political, whoever, that teaches a completely different Jesus into their church. And John said, you you can't do that. And so verse 12, we have the conclusion. He says this, And having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. A lot of things to talk about. John says, I wanted to write a whole bunch of things. There's so much that I would love to share with you. But you know what? Uh, Hopefully, man, I'm going to come to you and we'll speak face to face. And that right there will make our our joy full. You know, last night I was on Facebook. uh, And you got to be careful with Facebook, okay? You got to be careful. But uh, I use it. I get blessed because I'm able to contact missionaries. And there's this uh, young pastor in Cambodia. His name is Bora. Beautiful young man. Oh, man, beautiful. Every, every Saturday, he drives out three hours from Phnom Penh into Prevang. He drives on a little moto, and he goes out there, and he teaches probably about 125 kids in this just full-on Buddhist village. He's just teaching them all about Jesus, man. Really, really cool guy. And so we're just talking back and forth on Facebook. And then, you know, at the end, he's all, well, are you going to come? Are you going to come to Cambodia? And I, and I told him, I says, you know, man, I would love to be there to see you face to face, you know, because it's cool text messaging. Some of you guys like text messaging, right? But it's so much better, wouldn't you say? So much more joyful when you're there face to face. And that's the same thing John is saying, man. I tell you what, I hope I can see you. God will do a great work. But listen, in closing, the children of your elect sister greet you. And again, I suppose there's a possibility that this uh, is the elect lady's nephew. That sounds kind of weird, but 
it's far more likely to be greetings from one congregation to another. And I've seen how cool it is when, you know, congregations care for each other. You know, what a difference it makes in reading a letter like this. When you have an elder like John, hold fast to the truth and send out that word of wisdom, even those words of warning. Because, you know, let me put it this way. It's one thing to see someone face to face on the other side of the planet. But it's another thing to see someone face to face on the other side of time. That one day when we're home in heaven, you know, through these types of words of abiding in the Lord and staying close to Jesus, protecting yourself and protecting others. You know, I remember one man, and this is cool just to kind of give you a visual. He would not even allow the mail to come into his house until he first checked it. And I thought, that is so cool. Talk about symbolizing the way a man is protecting his home. You know, and he would go through, it's kind of funny, he would go through the magazines and uh, newspapers, and he would cut things out that were not appropriate. Oh, you're going to read the paper? Okay, well, let me cut this out. You know, cut this. I just thought, this is so cool, Lord. This is what fathers are supposed to do. This is what, what mothers are supposed to do. This is what leaders are supposed to do. Pastors, elders. Why? Is it because we're weird? Is it because we're control freaks? No, it's because we care about your soul. And we want, I want my kids. I want you. We, we want to make it to heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us, Lord, this time to be able to study together, Lord. Father, I pray that you would minister to every heart here. And the Gnostics were teaching weird things about Jesus because we know that in Jesus, Lord, we find salvation. And I just pray, Lord, if there is any here today, if there are any here today who don't know Jesus, who don't really know the real Jesus, then I pray that today would be the day of absolute surrender and salvation in which they would turn from their sins and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Bless them, Lord, I pray, and do a mighty work today. Thank you for your word. And we ask in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.